Amen. Thank you very much. Um, well, those that have gone back to school, I hope it's been an all right week this week. You've survived it okay. Um, and those of you that have been teaching that you've survived it okay. Um, <laughs> feel like there's quite a lot of us. And I, I say that just because I'm actually going to start with a bit of a kind of teachery kind of question. The one where at school the teacher says it and you roll your eyes and repeat the thing that you know that they want to hear um, just to get it out of the way. So here it is. Um, what do you look for in a leader? All right, turn to someone near you and tell them, what do you look for in a leader? What are the qualities you look for in a leader? Great. Okay. Well, I'm going to draw us back together. So that was just a quick buzz. Um, and I'm just going to kind of just do a poll by show of hands. Who said integrity? Oh, quite a lot. Strength? Yeah. Courage? Some. Kindness? Um, skill. Did anyone kind of something about their skill? No, very few. Oh, someone. Who said weakness? Just the people who've listened to the sermon this morning. <laughs> awesome. Okay. It's not, the idea of weakness is not the thing that comes to mind when we're thinking about a good leader. But we're going to be reflecting a little bit on that in our passage today. So you might want to get the Bible open in front of you. Keep it open on your phones. And I'm going to point out a few verses as we go through this. But I don't know about you, but some of us, I'm sure, have been reflecting a little bit on the Queen in the last few days and the kind of leader that she was. And um, I had an interesting moment. I walked in on our lodger. He's only kind of 20-something. And uh, he was watching The Crown because, you know, the Queen had just died. He figured he might find out about her through The Crown. And uh, so he was watching that. And uh, he'd got the bit where she was talking with Churchill. And she was very young at this point, And Churchill was much older and a much more forceful presence in the room. And you could see in the way the crown portrays it, this wrestling with how does she own being a leader? What is she going to look like as a leader? How is she going to lead? And you sort of see her growth into leadership through that interaction. But as I've been thinking about our Queen, two things have really struck me about her leadership. The first is, and probably obviously to say in a church, is her faith. It is amazing how many times she's referenced her faith in Jesus Christ, sustaining her and enabling her to live out a life of service. What a foundation our Queen built her life on. She built it on the right foundation, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ amazing for us to witness that in a queen but the second thing that's really struck me as I've looked through some of those Instagram reels and the reels you get on Facebook and stuff is she was quite honest you know she's a little bit like cheekily honest sometimes a little bit blunt she sort of said things as as she saw them she was relatively honest I know on some levels she was also maybe reserved or kept things to herself and didn't always know what she was thinking about but she declared some very honest things uh, through her life and one of our values here at Christchurch is that we are realistic people. And part of being a realistic people means that we are honest about how things are. We're honest about suffering. We're honest about sin. We're honest about our need for God. And we're honest about the fact that all of us have weaknesses. We are not fully sufficient on our own. 
We have a need for God and we have a need for each other. And I think the Queen knew this. Listen to this. This was her 21st birthday uh, radio address. She says this to all the people over the radio. And, and back in those days, I think everyone listened to the same channel on the radio. So we're, we're kind, of, kind of covering the nation here. Like everyone was tuned into this. She said this. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. And listen to this bit. But I shall not have strength to carry out this resolution alone unless you join it with me, as I now invite you to do. I know that your support will be unfailingly given. God, help me to make good my vow. And God bless all of you who are willing to share it. Will you stand with me in this task? And God, help me. There was a leader willing to be vulnerable, willing to say, not self-sufficient, I can't do this alone. But so often when we talk about leadership, we want a strong leader. We don't really like leaders that go around admitting that they're totally overwhelmed to the point of utter despair, that they need our help. Um, but the truth is that all leaders, whoever they are, will at some point face and encounter weakness. And of course, when we do, as people of God, face our weaknesses, our weaknesses aren't an excuse. They're not an excuse to act uncourageously. They're also not an excuse for us to be lazy. But an appropriate acknowledgement of weakness and the importance then of handing that weakness over to God is a very, very significant part of being a Christian. So in our passage today, have a look at this uh, with me, uh, we find Paul, this great leader. Now, Paul, we're in starting this um, series in 2 Corinthians, and Paul had a great difficult relationship with the Corinthian church to put it mildly they actually didn't get on at all there was an awful lot of tension and a lot going on and uh, and you see you might think Paul this is not maybe the way you want to start your letter to them you maybe want to assert your strength as a leader rather than declare that you're feeling very weak but Paul just goes straight in and verse 8 listen to this he says this we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. I don't know how that went down when the Corinthian church were listening to that whether that just gave them more ammunition to kind of doubt Paul as a leader. I don't know what they thought when they read that or how they felt and when they, when they heard it being read to them. But I tell you one thing, I am really glad that that verse is in the Bible. I'm really glad that Paul chose to be really honest because sometimes you and I just need to pause and realise that it's okay to be a Christian and feel completely overwhelmed, even to the point when we despair 
of life itself. You see, Paul was facing a lot, wasn't he? We know he was facing, obviously, like persecution and being beaten and whipped and all that, like, disgusting, horrible stuff that he faced. He was facing public rejection, humiliation. He was facing shipwrecks and hardships and all the burden of traveling. And then do you know what he says? Above all that, above all that stuff was the burden I carried in my heart for God's church. And it was overwhelming me and it was crushing me and I can't cope to the point where I despair of life. Now, I wonder if anyone's ever said this to you. Maybe, maybe we can do another little poll of hands in the room. Um, has anyone ever said to you, don't worry, God won't give you more than you can handle? Anyone had that said to them? Yes, quite a lot of people in the room. What do you think about that? How does that fit with this verse 8? Where Paul's clearly going, I've got too much that I can't handle. Well, the place that we get that verse from, if you have a look, you can flick back into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. The verse says this. It says, No temptation has overtaken you except what's common to mankind, and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And you see, in that verse, Paul is saying to the people, God is not going to tempt you in your sinfulness beyond what you can cope with but you see that verse is talking about our inward sin not about all the other stuff that comes at us in the world and you see in um I love the story of like Peter and Jesus like wrestling you know uh, when Peter's about to like betray him with the cock crowing three times and uh, in that story Jesus and Peter are talking and Jesus says to Peter basically I know you're going to mess up and I know you're going to totally fail but I have prayed for you. And it's a sense in which when we are gods and we come to him, even though we fail, even though we struggle in our sin, God comes alongside us and allows us not quite to reach rock bottom and protects our faith and brings us up out of it and reinstates us like he did to Peter time and again. And that is what this verse about temptation, I believe, is really getting to the core of. But that doesn't mean we won't face at other times other things, other weaknesses that come at us, which are really hard. The pressures from outside. And we see that in Jesus himself, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's there and he's like, God, will you take this cup from me? And it's clearly too much to bear to him. So much so that physiologically he's got little drops of blood forming on his forehead because the thing that's beholding in front of him of actually being separated from Father God and dying on the cross is beyond what he can bear. And he's like, please, friends, stay up and pray for me. And they're like, bit rubbish and don't. And I I can't cope. It's okay to feel overwhelmed as a Christian. And there are days when we need to be really honest and really realistic about the fact that something is hard and we really need God's help. But I think sometimes when we walk around, like particularly in the area we live in and stuff, kind of admitting weakness doesn't always go down that well. 
You know, there's like, think positive, think through it, think past it, conquer it, put a smile on your face, cheer yourself up, put some makeup on, sort it out, go out there in the world, fight it, is much more the reaction. And despite the rise in material around vulnerability in leadership, when people actually are really vulnerable in their leadership, we often still find it a little bit uncomfortable. And so I think we're in an interesting kind of season with that in society and where we live. And so one of the things I guess I want to say to us guys tonight is perhaps, perhaps we could be the people that model how to live with weaknesses really well to the rest of our community. And perhaps when we do that, it will give permission for others to be real. And you see, of course, it takes huge courage, doesn't it, to admit weakness. And yet when we do that, what we're saying is, actually, I just admit that I need God, that I need help, and that I need community of friends. The Queen said this in the year 2000. Um, She said, I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and example. And she's saying that I faced difficult times, but I've sought comfort from Christ's words and examples. There she is. She's admitting things are weak, things are hard. There's times of trouble, but in them... I found my comfort in Christ. But you see, there's a kind of a bit of uh, something else that needs to happen. So sometimes uh, some of us Christians have heard this kind of talk before, actually. Has anyone heard it's okay to have permission to, to be weak? It's okay to kind of express those feelings. We can be like the psalmist and we can shout out like, God, why have you forsaken me? And where are you? And like, you have permission to do that as a Christian. Who's heard that kind of talk before? Quite a few of us. Yeah, it's good. Uh, and it's great and it's a good talk, isn't it? And it's right and important. We aren't as Christians to be fake about things. But, and here's the but, we can then sometimes just expect that to be the only norm. We can become introspective and we can just wander around sharing our woes with each other. So we create a little holy huddle of woe-sharing people. And that's not healthy either. And you see, Paul takes us a little bit further in this passage. So he says, yes, everything was beyond my ability to cope with. But, but I handing my weakness over to God. And let's just have a look at what he finds in that. You see, in, as we look in that bit in 2 Corinthians 12, we hear him saying, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away my suffering and take away my weakness. And we don't know what that weakness was. Some people think it might have been blindness. Some people think it might have been his speech impediment. In many ways, I think it's fantastic that we don't actually know what it is because you and I can relate to it with whatever weakness we've had. We can go, Lord, sometimes in our life we've prayed for things and for whatever reason, you haven't taken that weakness away immediately and I don't understand why and I'm okay to not understand why but you haven't taken it away whether it's I've got a slight disposition towards a bit of depression or I have a slight habit of anxiety kind of tension that builds up in me or I I tend to shy away from things or I tend to be tempted in this area 
and it sometimes comes back again. Um, and so we sort of have these places in our lives, these weaknesses that sometimes we carry, and we've pleaded to the Lord, and for whatever reason, he hasn't immediately taken them away. Um, but, God says to Paul as he's wrestling with this, but my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. And really there's a moment where we have to stop and kind of pause again and sort of say, okay, God doesn't actually need me to be strong and all together. God is actually okay with me having weaknesses. And that's a really important thing for us to get hold of. I was listening um, to a testimony. Uh, Steve in the room here, you listened to it too. Um, we were listening to a testimony of a guy who was, I would say was about 20 years old. And um, he was telling us his story to a room of people. And he was sharing how he'd been at uni and he got COVID. And basically the COVID turned into long COVID. And it was really, really, really awful time for him. And I could see looking at him, you know, he was physically, I could see he was quite like a sporty guy, quite active. He was good looking. He was academic. He had, he had like everything going for him. And basically he had to drop out of uni. The long COVID got so bad that he could not get out of his bed. He'd never experienced anything like that in his life before. And so there he was, having dropped out of uni back home, with his parents in his single bed back in his old bedroom and he was just like God what are you doing with my life why have you let this happen why am I here what's going on why like this should be like the best time of my life when I should be meeting people and I should be getting on with my degree course and I've got my future ahead of me and you've just like taken it away and he did all that stuff that we must give each other permission to do. We must be angry, go through the cycle of grief, not to deny our feelings. And he did all that and he let it all out. But, but he then came to the place which Paul wants us all to, to come to and encourages us towards in these passages. Where he handed over the weakness, the suffering, the frustration, the boredom, the upset back into the hands of God. And so he sort of said one night on his bed, okay, okay, God, will you make something good of this? I have nothing left. He went to sleep and the next morning, he got a text from a friend, a friend who hadn't gone to uni, and so was still living in the same place where they're living, and they just started reconnecting again, and um, he discovered that his friend had fallen in into just a really bad time in their life, they were into drugs, and just kind of, things had got like particularly bad for this guy, and he was sort of searching and trying to get his life sorted, and, and they sort of started just that friendship building and having conversations with one another, and they just talked and talked, and, and over time, this guy got to begin to share his faith and his hope in Jesus with this other lad. And uh, there was one day when they were talking and, and this guy who with the long COVID just turned to his friend and sort of said, I'm just like, like I'm really sorry, mate, but I've just, like, I've just actually got to go back to bed because he was still 
really weak and he could only talk for a little while, but he felt rubbish because at that moment in the conversation, he had an opportunity to really share the gospel and all he had to do was do it, but he couldn't. He was so tired. He just like, I'm sorry, I can't even, I can't even share the gospel with this guy, but I, you know, I'm doing my best. Well, off he went to bed and when he woke up the next morning, he woke up to a string of text messages from this guy. And this guy was texting him just saying, I can't stop reading the Bible. I'm finding this about Jesus. I think I'm coming to faith in Jesus. I think I'm going to become a Christian. And he just woke up to this string of messages. Because when we hand ourselves over, even in our weakness, even in our struggle, even in our doubting times, The power of God is sufficient. God will do what God wants to do. I had my own little um, experience of this with James <laughs> um, a few weeks ago, well, actually a little while ago now. Um, a lot of us here, who, who came to New Wine and Luminosity and stuff, yeah. Um, there was a few of us were away on that quite an intense week. So I thought, clever. I'll get the new curate to preach the Sunday straight after New Wine. Brilliant. I'll rotor myself off. I've done a talk at New Wine. He can do it. Brilliant. Um, so it was meant to be James's first sermon, I think, in church here. And I knew he'd prepared it and he'd worked hard for it and he knew what he was going to say. And um, Richard, my husband, was away at Lambeth Conference, which is also why I'd rotor James on, because I thought, oh, give me a bit of an easier Sunday. I'll lead the services. He can preach. Be lovely. Um, so I was walking the dog 7.30 in the morning around Chiswick Park, as you do, and uh, I got a, a phone call from James, where basically he said that he'd been throwing up. And um, I did the whole, oh, I'm so sorry, I hope you feel better soon, in my head thinking, darn it. <laughs> but no, in all honesty, James did exactly the right thing. He going, I'm weak and I can't do it. And thank goodness, because quite frankly, it would have been pretty awful if he had powered through and then given us all a sick bug, right? So we're really super grateful for James and being really honest and saying that. But nonetheless, I was left then with going, ah, oh, I've got to be then at church in 45 minutes, because that's what time we get to pray and open up for the first service. And um, I haven't even read the passage for the week, because been quite busy normally I do so it's like quick read the passage ah, I can't do this God I can't do this I can't, I'm gonna have to lead and preach and then run and lead it preach at the 10th what's going I can't do it and I just this verse cut through just go and my grace is sufficient for you giving you more than enough just open your mouth speak and you see often it's only when we put ourselves in that place of stepping out in faith when we're weak that we experience then the power so Paul goes on in our passage and Richard did a brilliant sermon last week of speaking about comfort and through the passage we actually discover that it's normative for Christians to experience both suffering but it is also normative for us to experience power and comfort that comes from the Holy Spirit and Richard explained last week that the word for comfort in the passage isn't like a cuddly blanket he had great props last week if you were here like it isn't like a big duvet that wraps around you it isn't like God goes I'm going to comfort you by giving you some weight so you can 
like train and be stronger. Rather, the comfort is the same word that Jesus uses for the Holy Spirit. God's comfort to us is God coming alongside us in our weaknesses. Not poof, magicking them away, but coming alongside us. And so God comforts us. And here we get in verse 9, Paul says this. And all of this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us. He will deliver us again. And on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So after having just declared that he despaired even of life itself, we see that he has immediately handed over that weakness, realizing that it has taught him not to rely on himself, but to rely instead on God, who has the power of resurrection. And that power can work in us. There's a beautiful line at our traditional service that we we sometimes say, with the power of Christ in you, go in peace with the power of Christ at work in you. You see, as well as suffering being a reality, so in the Christian life is comfort and power a reality too. And so there's an encouragement to keep on handing over our weaknesses Looking forward to that day, of course, when every tear is going to be wiped away, when every wrong will be made right, when we will rest in that glorious banquet, that amazing party of eternity. But in the meantime, while we live here, we can walk around as realistic people, putting our trust in him, knowing that the Holy Spirit can come alongside even us even little me, even you, and comfort us and empower us. And of course, we're called in this chapter to comfort like Paul did. Like the Holy Spirit comforts us and we too are to comfort others. We're called not just individually, but we're called communally as the people of God. And of course, as church family, we can't really do that very well unless we are honest with one another. Unless we put up our hand and go, I'm struggling a bit here. And then James will go, I'll pray for you, Nicola. <laughs> um, or Karen will go, I'll help out with this, Nicola. And actually, we're called to do that for one another. We're called to do that in our youth group, in our, all of our congregations, in all of our gatherings. Should we stand? Let's stand and pray.